0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. You know, in Washington, there's a lot going on these days. President Biden will soon sign the $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill. The president's also out with an immigration reform plan, and he'll soon unveil a huge infrastructure package. But as important as all of that is, what's going on outside of Washington is more important and much more dangerous. A concerted effort by the Republican Party in almost every state to suppress the vote and in effect, do away with free and fair elections. It's the greatest threat to our democracy in our lifetime that all Americans should be concerned about and do everything in their power to stop. Of course, we've talked about it before, but it's only gotten worse since. So we wanted to come back to the issue of voter suppression today to ask, how bad is it and what can we do about it? With us today, Ari Berman senior reporter for Mother Jones, who specializes in the issue of voting rights. Ari Berman, it's been a while. Good to catch up with you again. Hey, Bill. Great to talk to you again. Thank you. So uh, I think all of us would agree that our most sacred right as Americans is our right to vote, but there are many civil rights organizations today that warn that our right to vote might be in danger. Do you think it is? And if so, how? How? It's absolutely
1: endangered because we are seeing the most intense effort to roll back voting rights in decades. There have been, in the span of just two months in this year, 253 bills to restrict voting rights in 43 states, according to the Brennan Center for Justice, which is magnitudes higher uh, than previously. Of course, Republicans have tried to restrict voting rights in the past. They put in place things like voter ID laws and cutbacks to early voting and closing polling places, things like that uh, in the last decade, but they've dramatically ramped up those efforts. And I think it's a direct response to both losing the 2020 election, but then also the big lie that Trump told the election was stolen, which has put pressure on a lot of Republicans to try to change the methods of voting that Democrats used most successfully
0: in 2020. So 43 states means this is happening not just in red states. It means it's being introduced not just in red states, but
1: I think the efforts are most concentrated in red states or in purple states that Republicans control. I think the most intense efforts to restrict voting rights are in purple states that Republicans control, like in Georgia and Arizona, where they are extremely concerned about demographic change. They're extremely concerned about higher Democratic turnout. They're extremely concerned about Biden winning their states for the first time in a long time for a Democrat to carry those places. And so instead of trying to reach out to more voters, they're trying to change the voting laws of the state to make it more difficult for Democratic constituencies, particularly constituencies of color, to turn out.
0: Uh, and there's no doubt why they're doing this, is there? In fact, I wanna, uh, you tweeted about this, and I wanted to play for our listeners uh, a little exchange at the Supreme Court last week when it was considering two measures already passed by Arizona, uh, and Judge uh, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, Justice rather, uh, asked the attorney for the Arizona Republican Party uh, what the purpose of this was or what was behind it. Here, here's that quick exchange. I'm interested in knowing why the RNC is in the case. Because it puts us at a competitive disadvantage relative to Democrats. Politics is a zero-sum game. That sort of says it all, doesn't it?
1: It really does, and it it was interesting to hear that at the Supreme Court because usually politics doesn't enter the court. And Republicans were trying to strike down or weaken a key section of the Voting Rights Act in a case that originated in Arizona. And there were two laws in Arizona: a restriction on out-of-precinct voting and a restriction on ballot collection. And Amy Coney Barrett said, "Why is the RNC in this case? Because usually it would be the state of Arizona that would be defending Mm -hmm. itself, not the RNC." And the the lead lawyer for the RNC, Michael Carvin, who's been a A lawyer for a long time for Republican causes, admitted that basically that striking down restrictions on voting puts Republicans at a competitive disadvantage. Of course, the corollary to that is putting in place restrictions on voting puts Republicans at a competitive advantage. And so the fact that he said that at the time when they are introducing all of these restrictions on voting, I just think just goes to show you uh, the fact that this is really about trying to get a competitive advantage in the elections by changing the election laws and the voting laws themselves.
0: Uh, are they particularly directed at trying to get an advantage or to get a disadvantage for Democrats in um, uh, areas where there are a heavy percentage of people of color or particularly black majority cities? They
1: have done that. If you look at Georgia, for example, there are Proposals, there's a bill passed by the Georgia House that would restrict weekend voting, particularly Sunday voting, when black churches Mm -hmm. do souls to the polls, get out the vote drives. And that's something that's clearly targeted at black voters, both because of the history of doing souls to the polls, but also because the data shows that voters of color are more likely to use weekend voting than white voters. And I think that makes sense because I think voters of color are more likely to work in jobs that they can't work during the week, uh, but they have more time to vote on weekends. And so clearly, white voters are the ones who use weekend voting the least and therefore the GOP is most comfortable getting rid of that. Mail voting is also a fascinating thing because what they're trying to do in Georgia is also to restrict mail voting to get rid of no excuse absentee voting and instead say only a very specific segment of the population can vote by mail including by the way voters over 65 which is the the most intense GOP demographic. And and it's fascinating because Georgia Republicans wrote the laws for mail voting. They are the ones who expanded mail voting there. But mm. The only time that Democrats actually did better than Republicans at mail voting was in 2020. And of course, now that that's happened, they want to dramatically restrict it. In every other previous election when they won mail voting, they had no problems with it. So it's clear that this is all driven by an attempt to try to make it harder for Democratic constituencies to vote. They're also doing a lot of little things that aren't getting quite as much attention, um, but they're making it more difficult. For example, counties in Atlanta to be able to expand the number of polling sites, uh, to be able to offer mobile voting. There's even a provision in one of the Georgia bills to prevent people uh, from getting food and water if they're waiting online to vote. So they're basically saying, okay, well, well, we're going to make you 10 hours to vote. We're going to make you wait 10 hours to vote, but we're not going to let you have a slice of pizza or a bottle of water while you're waiting in the Georgia sun to cast a ballot. I mean, it's pretty ridiculous what's happening.
0: Right. Um, Isn't this all based on what you mentioned uh, first, the allegations of voter fraud, right, for massive voter fraud, for which there really is zero evidence, correct? There's zero evidence of this. And this was
1: litigated and discussed more in 2020 than in any previous election. And 60-plus court decisions found zero evidence of fraud. In Georgia, the entire election was run by Republicans, the Governor was Republican, the lieutenant governor was Republican, the legislature was Republican, and the Secretary of State most importantly was Republican. And they had three recounts and they found no evidence of fraud. The biggest critic of Donald Trump when it came to his lies about voter fraud was the Republican Secretary of State of Georgia, Brad Raffensberger, who over and over debunked Trump's claims. And so it's fascinating in Georgia because it was Republicans in Georgia who said that Donald Trump was lying, who said that they had a fair election, who said that Joe Biden won the election. But then other Republicans in Georgia are turning around and exploiting and weaponizing the lies that Trump told to make voting more difficult in the state. And I think that's what's so disturbing is is that not just that Trump lied for so long, that those lies are now living on in terms of all the legislation that's being introduced. And and they're essentially trying to do in 2022 and 2024 what they were unable to do in 2020. They tried to steal the election through extra legal means in 2020. Now they're trying to steal it mm-hmm. through extensively legal means in 2022 and 2024 by changing the voting laws of the state.
0: Uh, and it seems that the other premise here behind this, which I find bizarre, is uh, and Donald Trump has almost said it out loud when he said, Boy, if you allow all this uh, extensive uh, absentee ballot voting, no Republican will ever get elected again. I mean, there, there seems to be a premise that the more people that vote, the worse off it is for the Republican Party.
1: Yeah, and I'm not even sure I agree with that premise because I
0: don't. Yeah, I, I don't Trump told
1: people not to vote by mail. What if he had just told people to vote by mail? Then I mean, then then there wouldn't have been any problems with mail voting. I mean, even now with mail voting. So 1.3 million people in Georgia voted by mail in 2020, uh, and Democrats used it as a, at a higher rate than Republicans, but 450,000 Republicans still voted by mail. That's an awful lot of Republicans who voted by mail to then say, we're going to take away mail voting. Wouldn't you instead want to say, let's encourage our people to vote by mail and try to get those numbers up to where it was in 2016, for example, when Donald Trump won mail voting in Georgia, um, where Brian Kemp was elected with mail voting in 2018, where the entire legislature was reelected in 2020 with male voting. And so it's just bizarre that instead of trying to win new voters and try to encourage more of their voters to turn out, their entire strategy seems to be, let's get fewer Democrats to turn out instead.
0: So in effect, I hear you saying some of their uh, measures that they're proposing could backfire, right? Uh, They could backfire. I mean, I think what they're hoping
1: Is that more Democrats are disenfranchised than Republicans. Mm -hmm. But there's no doubt that there's gonna be an awful lot of collateral damage. When you take away a voting method that 1.3 million people used, there's gonna be a lot of collateral damage. They're talking about cutting weekend voting. Well, 138,000 people use the weekend voting days that they wanna get rid of now. That's a lot of people who have to vote on different days. And you're taking fewer people can use mail voting in Georgia if they pass these laws. But then there's also fewer opportunities to vote in person as well. So what's that going to mean? It's going to mean more chaos voting in person and longer lines. Uh, And so it's really a recipe for disaster. And I think it's going to make a lot of voters angry, uh, not just uh, Republican voters. I remember back in the 2020 election bill, and I'm sure you remember, sorry, the 2012 election bill, I'm sure you remember this uh, as well. In the 2012 election in Florida, they cut early voting from 14 days to eight days. And mm-hmm. they also eliminated Sunday voting. And there were seven hour lines in Florida right. to vote. And it, it disproportionately impacted black voters. But a lot of white people had to vote, wait a long time to vote as well. And the Florida legislature actually repealed its own law cutting early voting because what they did was so unpopular. And I think Georgia is going to have a similar experience. I think Georgia is heading into Florida territory when it comes to voting, if it makes a lot of these changes.
0: Right. So we've talked about a couple of them. You've talked about a couple of them. Uh, Cutting back on the early voting, um, Cutting back or eliminating <laughs> absentee ballots, uh, or may, may, certainly at the universal absentee ballot. What are what are some of the other specific measures or steps that you see uh, being repeated in, in in many many states to try to uh, curtail the vote?
1: Uh, one thing is adding new requirements to vote by mail. So for example, adding new voter ID requirements, things like that, that could be burdensome for people, uh, either if you don't have an ID or in some cases they're making you, even if you have one, submit a photocopy of your ID, which then means you have to access a printer or a copier, which becomes extremely inconvenient f- for people, uh, They're restricting how people can get, for example, absentee ballot applications. A lot of states and a lot of counties mailed out absentee ballot applications to voters to make it convenient, and they're prohibiting people um, from being able to do that. They're prohibiting counties... Um, from being able to do that. Uh, They're restricting the flexibility that counties have to offer more days of early voting or offer more hours of early voting. In Georgia, they're trying to actually undercut the power of the Republican Secretary of State. They're trying to remove him as a voting member from the State Board of Elections, which hears a lot of election cases. They're prohibiting him from entering into legal agreements with groups like the ACLU or Fair Fight, the group run by Stacey Abrams. So if the Secretary of State gets sued for a discriminatory voting change and says, hey, I want to settle this out of court so we can try to get an agreement that works for everybody, they can't do that anymore unless the legislature, which is controlled by Republicans, signs onto this. So it's taking away flexibility uh, from uh, counties and states to be able to run their elections and basically making the Republican-controlled legislatures oversee this entire process, the same legislatures that are gerrymandered in all these states to such an extent that It's very rare that they'll ever lose their power, so they can act almost entirely without accountability. There are measures in Arizona, for example, to try to cut the number of people that automatically receive mail ballots. Same mm-hmm. thing in Florida. There's lists in these states where if you vote by mail in the past, you're automatically sent a mail ballot, which makes it really, really convenient to vote by mail. In Florida, where Republicans have voted by mail for a long time, they want to get rid of that list. So every single election, you have to reapply for your mail ballot, which of course is going to lead to many fewer people voting by mail. The craziest proposal of all the proposals I've seen is a bill in Arizona that would give the legislature the power to appoint their own electors whenever they want after the election, Uh which would essentially just completely nullify uh, the presidential election. And that bill got a lot of scrutiny. So they've reintroduced the bill saying that if we pass it, voters will have to approve it as a ballot initiative. Now, why voters would approve a law that completely takes away their own power uh, is mystifying to me. But the fact that this is even being entertained is extremely disturbing, and of course, remember this is exactly what Trump wanted to do in twenty twenty. He wanted the legislatures to just completely overturn the will of the voters without any justification for doing so. That would actually be legal if such a law
0: was passed in Arizona. It would be legal. It would not be. I mean, they are in effect uh, overturning the Electoral College. Correct. Isn't well, that- I'm not saying it would be
1: legal in terms of the eventual constitutionality of it. But I mean, got it. Yeah. The the law very specifically said in Arizona and other states, you have to follow. The winner of the popular vote in your state. That's what the law said. Now, if they passed a law that said the, the legislature could appoint its own electors, the law would be different. I, I, you're right. I, I don't think it would be constitutional because what's the purpose of the electoral college Which, by the way, I think is stupid and we should get rid of, but I don't think we should get rid of it in this way to basically say that the voters have been less power than they already have.
0: Right. I want to talk to you about the Electoral College uh, uh, in just a couple of minutes. But but on this point still, Ari, I think the last time you and I talked about this was a couple of years ago. Uh, As you pointed out, these efforts to suppress the vote began long before Donald Trump. And at the time, I remember there were some like only 20 states that had measures like this. And most of them were being circulated, written and circulated by this uh, American Legislative Exchange Council, I think it was called, or ALEC, funded by the Koch brothers. Are they still, are they the ones who are organizing this, or is anybody organizing this nationwide? Well, there seems to be a number of people
1: organizing it. I haven't seen... A model legislation drafted by Alec uh, in the same way that I've seen in years past that doesn't mean they're ha- they haven't done it it just hasn't come in, out yet but the, there's a number of other organizations that are already doing this the RNC has created its own kind of election integrity quote unquote commission uh, to work with the states to restrict voting the Republican uh, state committees, the people that oversee the redistricting process, so the gerrymandering of legislative districts, they've also uh, created uh, a, a committee uh, to work on this stuff. So it's it's kind of infected the entire Republican Party at this mm-hmm. point. Uh, and they've gone from you know Trump basically just lying about elections to trying to figure out The best way to implement those lies from a policy perspective. And it seems like virtually the entire Republican Party is now on board with this effort, in fact, making it basically priority number one. And if you listen to Trump at CPAC and I read the transcript instead of listening to it because it was a little too much for me to listen to it. But if you listen to Trump at CPAC, he says this is an urgent priority, one of the most urgent priorities for the Republican Party. And then he called for restricting mail voting, getting rid of early voting, doing all of these things that would make it dramatically harder to vote, including harder for a lot of Republicans to vote.
0: Right. And at CPAC... uh... They took a poll and they asked the member, the people who were there at CPAC, what is the number one most important issue facing the United States of America? And by 97%, I think they said, election reform, right? Which is their code word for uh, voter suppression. Here on the Bill Press Pod today, we're talking with Ari Berman uh, from Mother Jones about voter suppression across the United States, this frightening campaign that is underway. We'll take a quick break and come back and talk about Maybe, maybe an answer working its way through Congress. On the issue of voter suppression, there are several organizations nationwide that are working in every state uh, to do something about it, to stop these voter suppression efforts. And we encourage you to join them and to support their efforts. We told you before about an organization called LetAmericaVote.org. Here's another one, very, very important, and one of the first ones established, established by Stacy Abrams in the state of Georgia. It's called Fair Fight Action, FairFightAction.com. Again, doing great work in Georgia and around the country. So check it out, fairfightaction.com, and they'll tell you what's happening in your state and how you can get involved. This is an effort we all have to take part in. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes.
1: There really is no place like home.
0: Back here on the Bill Press Pod, talking voter suppression with Ari Berman from Mother Jones. So, Ari, HR1 uh, is the Democrats' answer. Um, it passed the House of Representatives last week. Uh, it will soon be going to the Senate, where its fate is certainly uh, unknown, but uh, maybe be at, certainly at risk. Also, uh, let me ask you first of all, HR1, you're familiar with it. Uh, is it d- does it Is it the answer we're looking for?
1: It's a very important answer that we're looking for because it sets rules for federal elections, that would make it dramatically easier to vote and the system a lot more fair. It would put in place things like nationwide, automatic, and election day registration, uh, early voting in every state, expanded mail voting in every state, uh, independent redistricting, public financing of elections. I mean, these are extremely popular policies, not just with Democrats. They're popular policies among all Americans. Uh, The bill itself is supported by nearly 70% of Americans. And when you go through the individual provisions, a lot of them or even more popular uh, than that. And I think that by setting these rules for federal elections, that would preempt a lot of these voter suppression efforts because you wouldn't be able to cut early voting Or get rid of automatic registration or or do things like that for for federal elections uh, if uh, these rules were in place. I think another key component of it is the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which is the companion bill to H.R. 1. It's H.R. 4 in the House. and I think that would require states like Georgia with a history of discrimination to once again have to approve their voting changes with the federal government after the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act in 2013. I think these bills really work together because H.R. 1 puts in place a lot of good policies where the John Lewis Voting Rights Act gives the government the power to block a lot of bad policies. And I think
0: – go ahead, Bill. I was just going to say, but we know uh, that with the Senate split 50-50, uh, it's going to be just about impossible to get 60 votes to even consider either one of these. What? So is that – do you just have to accept the fact that neither one is going to get through or do you see any way out? It it, it accepts the fact that you'll have to eliminate the filibuster,
1: Uh, to pass them, and I think this is the most consequential decision for the Democratic Party in decades. Uh, Given the crazy ways that Republicans are undermining the right to vote at the statewide level, and given the insane ways they're going to gerrymander later this year to stay in power at the state level and to try to take back the House uh, through the redistricting process, Democrats are facing a huge threat to democracy, and democracy writ large is facing an existential threat. And if Democrats take no action and just allow these Republican efforts to be implemented on a statewide level, they're going to lose power in the House. They're going to lose power in the Senate. They might even lose the presidency in 2024, and then democracy is going to be undermined for decades. And so this is such a critical decision. It's not like deciding whether to vote on some bill and then forgetting about it tomorrow. If they don't pass these two bills, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to reverse these Republican attacks on democracy. And they don't have the support for getting rid of the filibuster right now. They don't have the support of Joe Manchin. They don't have the support of Kirsten Sinema. They might not have the support of a few other Democratic senators. What Senate Democrats are betting is that if enough pieces of legislation are blocked by Republicans, some of these Senate Democrats might reconsider. I don't know whether that's true or not, but that's the thinking within the ranks of Senate Republicans right now. Senate Democrats right now.
0: There has also been uh, the idea put forward by, particularly by uh, Oregon Senator Jeff Merkley. Uh, okay, we'll leave the filibuster in place. We'll just get rid of it for one issue: voting rights. Uh, the two bills you mentioned, HR one and HR four. Uh, would that be uh, an acceptable way to go? I think it'd be an acceptable way to go just because it's
1: so important, huh? Bills are so important. And making it easier to participate in democracy has an effect on all other pieces of legislation. So it it makes it easier to pass everything else if you have expanded participation in the political process. If you don't, that makes it a lot harder to pass anything else. So I I would like to see the filibuster uh, gotten rid of entirely so you could pass a lot of different things. Um, But I think that there's an argument to saying that we shouldn't allow a supermajority requirement to block legislation that is going to make it harder for the majority to be able to rule and harder for the majority of Americans to be able to have a say in the political process. And it's also just the fact that the filibuster for so long was used to block issues relating to civil rights and voting rights. I mean, that's what the filibuster was used for. That's what you, it's all about. You very well right. know, that's what it was used for. That That's Strom Thurmond getting up there and speaking for 24 hours to filibuster the Civil Rights Act. I mean, that that it really is the core of what the filibuster has been used to do. And so and there's an argument to say, we can't let this history repeat itself, that we understand that on some bills- we're going to need to get 60 votes, even though you could lower that threshold, for example, to 55 votes, there's no reason why you couldn't do it. Um, but to say that we can't allow an anti-democratic remnant of Jim Crow to prevent us from stopping the next wave of Jim Crow 2.0 laws. And I, again, I have no idea if that's going to work on Joe Manchin or Kirsten Cinema, but it would allow them to change the rules without entirely changing the rules. So that might be uh, an alluring prospect to some Democrats.
0: Uh, and if it's not through the Congress, and I, so I, I totally agree with you about just getting rid of the filibuster period is the best approach. Um, let's talk about the courts from what we saw, at, what we know of, the, of John Roberts and what we saw last week when the court did the uh, oral arguments on the Arizona matter. Um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of hope in counting on the Supreme Court to expand voting rights or to protect them. No. there's. I, I have no hope for the, for the Supreme Court or the cr- courts
1: writ large to protect voting rights, given that Donald Trump just appointed 234 federal judges. I think that these judges, if anything, are, are going to roll back the existing protections that we have for voting rights, uh, let alone trying to stop new restrictions on voting from coming into effect, because I think they either agree Uh, with a lot of these restrictions on voting, or they believe that state legislatures should just be able to do basically whatever they want, which has the same kind of effect. I mean, they've already said uh, federal courts can't review partisan gerrymandering, uh, which is just completely crazy. And they could essentially de facto sort of say the same thing With voter suppression, that they're going to make it so hard to strike down voter suppression efforts that basically you can't look to the courts as a remedy. And that would be a huge change for American democracy ever since the Voting Rights Act was passed. uh, People facing discrimination have looked to the courts for protection and often found protection, even from judges that were appointed by Republicans. But I don't think that these uh, judges are the same. And I don't think we've ever seen a six to three court uh, like the current court. You probably have to go back to the 1920s to find a court that was as radical uh, as, as the current court, not to mention that the lower courts are just stacked uh, with conservative appointees. So if you're asking me, what's more likely? Democrats somehow figuring a way to get rid of the filibuster to pass H.R. 1 and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, or the Roberts Court protecting voting rights? I don't know if either is likely, but I'm still <laughs> thinking that that protecting the filibuster, that, that getting rid of the filibuster to protect voting rights is, at least has a chance of happening. Whereas it seems very unlikely to nearly impossible to imagine the Roberts Court, which is now, I guess you could say, the Barrett Kavanaugh Gorsuch Court, uh, from, from doing the same thing.
0: Uh, especially when the Roberts Court is the one that gutted the Voting Rights Act to begin with, right?
1: Well, exactly. And I mean, it was a five to four court that gutted the Voting Rights Act. It was a five to four court that said you couldn't review partisan gerrymandering. It was a five to four court that upheld voter ID laws and upheld voter purging. And now it's a six to three court. So if I'm a voting rights lawyer, I don't even want to bring litigation before the Supreme Court. I want to stay out of the Supreme Court. And to be honest with you, some civil rights groups weren't even happy that this Arizona case was before the Supreme Court mm-hmm. because they think that nothing good can come out of the Supreme Court. So I understand that progressives have a lot of faith in the in the justice system and they have a lot of faith in the courts. And whenever they see an injustice, they say we need to litigate this, you know. And but I would say focus <laughs> on legislation, not litigation, at this point in time, because at least with legislation, you theoretically have the power to do it, whereas litigation, you're just at the mercy of the 234 judges that Trump appointed to the courts.
0: Uh, you mentioned it earlier. I'd like to come back to redistricting um, or re- uh, drawing new lines, right, just for a second, because this is the other major threat, uh, isn't it, to, to, to our democracy? The, the one is all the voter suppression we talked about Uh, But through, through state legislatures controlled by Republicans drawing new lines, they could, in effect, take back the Congress, as you point out, and the White House.
1: It's going to be really ugly. This is the next shoe that is not yet dropped uh, because the census has been delayed. And of course, you draw new districts based on the census data. And so the redistricting process isn't going to happen probably until the fall. But when it does, it's going to be very, very ugly in places where Republicans control, in states like Texas, and in Florida, and in Georgia. They're going to have virtually unlimited power to draw whatever districts they want. So they're they're first they're trying to choose their own voters with voter suppression, but they can do it in a far more surgical way with gerrymandering. I mean they could literally choose their own voters by deciding what they want their districts to look like. And the Supreme Court has said, we're not getting involved with this unless you do the most extreme, egregious racial gerrymandering. So as long as you do it for partisan reasons, we're not going to block it. And you can only block it through state courts. Well, in Florida and Texas and Georgia, the state courts are extremely conservative, and they only need to pick up a few seats in the House. So they can probably pick up the House just through drawing new districts in Florida, Texas, and Georgia, and maybe a few other states um, before there's any competitive races for the House. So I think redistricting is going to make it very, very difficult for Democrats to take back the House. And it's also going to lock in one party control for state legislatures in all these places, which is going to give them uh, nearly unlimited power. And I think the the only really recourse that, that Democrats have here is, yes, they can look to the state courts, but I think the most important thing is trying to elect statewide officials. That can try to block this kind of stuff. Because in states where there are Democrats who are governors, for example, they can veto these redistricting maps. So that means the courts have to draw them. And again, we talked about the courts. The courts aren't great, but the courts are probably going to draw fairer maps uh, than Republican officials in Michigan or Wisconsin or wherever might draw.
0: Uh, just to to uh, uh, underscore your point, uh, the Cook Political Report, David Wasserman, who covers the House races uh, so well for uh, Cook Political Report, uh, noted this morning that in Florida, um, with the legislature Republican legislature in charge and the Republican Supreme Court in Florida, that they they expect the ratio from Republicans to Democrats in Florida, which is now sixteen Republicans to eleven Democrats. Under redistricting, could go, for example, to 21 Republicans and eight Democrats, which that alone would give Republicans control of the House of Representatives. Yeah, it's a scary prospect that Florida is
1: supposed to have uh, some uh, a fair redistricting amendment that should block a lot of this stuff from happening. Um, but Republicans have abused the process there. So I think this is going to have to get a lot of attention in terms of uh, what they're doing uh, redistricting isn't an insurmountable obstacle but it certainly is going to make it more difficult uh, to win a lot of these races and i think democrats are going to have to be prepared to really organize uh, at the state level and to organize at the state level including maybe in some red districts uh, that are going to be very important and to put the kind of emphasis on redistricting in 2021 that they did not put in t- in 2011 when Republicans threw all these maps with very little scrutiny. So uh, at the very least, I think there's going to be a lot more scrutiny of the process in 2021. The question is, will Democrats have any power to stop it in states that Republicans control? And, and that's the big question. That's the thing I'm concerned about.
0: Right. Uh, you've been very kind with your time. I want to ask you one more question before I let you go. And that is, and we, re- we referenced it earlier, is it the most undemocratic system of all, the electoral college? And if so, are we just stuck with it? it it is the most undemocratic system because it's the
1: only system that allows you to get fewer votes but actually win the election and th- that's just so unbelievably counterintuitive that if you went to a baseball game and the team that got 7 runs won the game instead of the team that got 9 runs everyone would be outraged <laughs> but that's <Yeah. laughs> that's essentially how we decide our elections and the fact that Trump lost by 7 million votes but came within 45,000 votes in three states from getting reelected. Uh it just shows it goes to show you that this is not a problem that's going away uh, anytime soon I think Getting rid of the electoral college, as you know, would require a constitutional amendment. That's very unlikely to happen. But if enough states join the interstate popular vote compact, if they reach 270 votes, then that is a way to get around the electoral college. And they're they're short right now, but that is gaining um, some momentum. And so it's not inconceivable that we could have uh, 270 votes uh, for a popular vote compact. One really fascinating thing is that in the 1970s, we almost got rid of the Electoral College. The House passed a constitutional amendment to get rid of the Electoral College, and it was filibustered in the Senate, um, most prominently by Southern segregationists. And so again, the filibuster has a very ugly history in terms of both uh, keeping in place Jim Crow laws, but also uh, failing to get rid of really undemocratic structures like the Electoral College.
0: Yeah, all based on the premise that the person who gets the most votes should win, right? Gee, how radical can you get? (laughs) (laughs) Seems like that should be a pretty basic tenet in a democracy. It seems that way. Ari Berman, Mother Jones, thank you so much. How can people follow you when you're not here on the Bill Press pod? Uh, On Twitter at Ari Berman uh, or at MotherJones.com. You got it. Thanks, Ari, so much. Uh, Keep up the good fight. And let's uh, keep our hopes up for H.R. 1 and getting rid of the filibuster, at least for voting rights. Thanks, Ari. Talk to you again soon. Thanks so much, Bill. I appreciate it. And that's it for today's podcast with Ari Berman from Mother Jones on voter suppression. Don't forget two organizations that we encourage you to check out and to join and support so far. LetAmericaVote.org and FairFightAction.com. Both very active. In efforts to stop this voter suppression legislation happening across the country. Meanwhile, um, we will be back on Friday with our weekly roundtable. Uh, and we encourage you in the meantime to stay strong, stay safe, wear that mask, practice your social distancing, take care of yourselves. We'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.